It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. I'd like you to join me in welcoming my special guest, who is a music library CEO, Pedro. Vote for Pedro. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, many of you know Pedro from road rallies and he's your friend and stuff. So please don't blurt out his company name. I don't want him to get hit with, you know, a lot of people who will watch this video over the next week to 30 days are not taxi members and they don't know good etiquette and they may send him just tons of bad music. So I'm saving him the pain from that, even though he's gracious, uh, gracious enough to say, well, I've got a guy who listens to it for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and I printed out my show notes. I thought I did. Anyway, I don't have them. Any, uh, I do have questions, your questions. I just don't have my pre-question notes. But welcome to the big show. We are going to do live Q&A with Pedro today. We are going to try and take every question. We've got a bunch that people, uh, people who followed the rules and actually sent them in in advance in email form and Liz has printed them out. Um, so we will do those and if we have some extra time, we'll field some questions from the chat room as well. But I love having Pedro on the show. He's a very level-headed, rational human being that uh, I like rational people, I like logical people, I like pragmatic and practical people and he is all that stuff and that's why he started out as a taxi member probably, you're, you're welcome, probably 12 or 13, 14 years ago and started to become successful. Yeah, years. Yeah. Wow. And at some point he came to me and he said, you know, I've got more opportunities than I can, than I've got music and hours to make the music. I'm thinking about starting a library. Can I run listings with taxi? And because I know his character so well, um, and he agreed to start out doing it non-exclusive. So if it didn't work out well, he could just pull the cork on it. No harm, no foul on anybody's part. And uh, it worked out. Uh, and I'm very, very proud of him um, because I know how hard he works at this. And uh, it's not easy. Anybody who thinks that starting a library is, oh, I'll just reach out to a couple dozen of my taxi friends and get their music. Um, can you start the show by telling people how much behind the scenes work for people go why do libraries get 50 percent of the money man what did they do to deserve it can you clue them in a little bit as to things like tagging or editing and filing do we have and 10 hours <laughs> give us the five minute version please <laughs> well i mean uh just thinking about infrastructure to begin with if you have a library of music you got to store it somewhere you have to have it so that it's searchable, easy, easily accessible. So you have to have it in a database of some sort. So you have to have it well tagged, um, uh, keeping track of the all of the information for entitlements has to be in there. Um, onboarding composers, all the work that goes into that understanding, helping them understand what our agreement says, there might be questions. So that whole process can take a long time. Um, what else? Uh, PRO registrations, PRO registrations in other countries than your own. 
Um, and for a company like ours that sub-publishes our music internationally, uh, relationships with our sub-publishers, making sure that they receive the music the way that they want to receive it. Um, figuring out the systems to get the music to them, the metadata in the format that they need. Um, my, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, for clients, many different clients have their own music systems. So ingesting music into the systems that they consume, that they, their editors use, um, and the format that they need. So it could be file names that need to be set up differently wow. so that not only do their editor can their editors pull them into their systems but then the other systems that will look at what they've placed and figure out the entitlement matches um, the file name so that it can get the proper information for their cue sheets so that everybody gets paid like the list is endless um, so yeah the, it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of um, putting together systems that reduce human error in the process. And so that requires man hours, women hours, <laughs> person <laughs> hours, I guess would be the correct way to say it. Other hours. Um, yeah, check the other box. I think that's the correct way. These it days. requires hours and systems and a lot of thought process, and that evolves over time. Like if we look at the systems that I had in place almost 10 years ago when the company started to what we have today, where we have a mature um, submission portal that we've built from scratch that got programmed, there's been several revisions of it to improve how it works. Uh, yeah, it's it's unending the back end work that goes into it. And that's yeah. just to maintain. Then you have the actual business side. So how do you get clients? Uh, how do you maintain the relationships with those clients, keeping them happy um, while competing in an industry that has a lot of competition out there? So it's um, it's an interesting business to be in. So you really have to love what you're doing, like personally. My background is in, in IT, so I like systems. I like building these things. So it, in the way, it's almost like I'm playing in a sandbox when we're putting together all of these processes and systems. Um, so yeah, for me, it's a little bit of a passion project, I guess you could say, over the years. And it's been, been fun to watch it grow. And now having people working with me that are carrying on, continuing to help grow what we've what we've built and now continuing to build it together but uh yeah Are so you... a lot goes on in the background that definitely as a publisher um and i'd like to make that distinction too like we tend to refer to companies like ours as a music library but i see it more as a music licensing company actually full service music licensing company is what uh, we consider ourselves with a music library that's available as well um, I think there's a misconception amongst less experienced musicians. Uh, everybody, certainly the whole uh, get your music into film and TV, the sync thing has blown up from the musician perspective over the last five to ten years. Really, even in the last two, more so. And yet I still meet people constantly, almost on a daily basis, that somehow refer to the fact I've got a great song 
and they think that film and TV is all about, wow, that's a great song, much like A&R is at a record label. But even A&R at a record label, you have a great song, but if it's not great for anybody on their roster, then what you've got is a great song that's not good for anybody on their roster. They're not going to cut a song that doesn't match Ariana Grande's personal style and kind of her repertoire of things that she would sing about or talk about. They're just not. Um, so somebody explained it to me. It's much like a casting agent for a movie. That if if the director says to the casting agent, I, I need a 13-year-old female with red hair and lots of freckles and huge blue eyes who's a little bit dorky but ever so lovable, and you have to parade several dozen of those in front of the director as the casting agent, that's your job, is go find realistic possibilities, put them in front of the director and find out which of those possibilities resonates with the director because he or she feels that that person would really nail the part and bring extra life and meaning and whatever to the character. Music, I contend, is the same way. It's not, I mean, you could have the greatest actress in the world if she's not a 13-year-old redhead with lots of freckles and big blue eyes, not going to get the part. So music is the same. Um, do you have any advice for people just starting out in the sink end of the business, like a general statement, you should think of music like this versus the old way of, I've got a great song. I think my advice would be to um, listen and watch where music is being used in advertising, film, television, etc., and trying to understand what the context is. So you could have a fantastic song, but is there any usability for it in the market? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really about researching what is available. Um, is there a viable spot for that song? We talk about vocal songs versus instrumental music as well, um, like reality shows or lifestyle shows. They they tend to use a lot of production music. Um, again, totally different market. Understanding how how is that music used? What are the what is the potential for like banjo instrumental music? Are there a lot of shows that are using that? and then targeting those particular shows. I think um, I think I was watching one of the taxi TVs where you were interviewing somebody and they were talking about that as well. Um, like watching shows that you like and if you hear music that's similar to what you make, look at the credits of the show. Is it a particular music company that's providing music for that show? Uh, yeah. Maybe you can get in touch with that company and uh, send send them some of your music if you feel that it's a fit. So it's it's really understanding the usage. Like sometimes I hear brilliant songs and you just like as a, a, a licensing company and I think music supervisors are the same. They would be kind of scratching their heads like where can this be used is usually the question in our mind. 
especially if it's if it's good if it's if it's bad like quality is just not there you you think well even if this would be usable in some context the quality is just not there compared to something similar with better quality but if the quality level is there like the broadcast quality where can it be used is is always the question so i would that's i think my advice would be like can your music be used somewhere like is there something comparable that you hear on shows that you like or some other shows or films or advertising yeah if you think, were a, a young I think you used to say that a long time ago michael like the answer is right in front of you like the tv right. is staring you in the face where you can do the, yeah you can do the research right there if you were starting out and wanted to have a career earning your full income eventually through placing your stuff in film and tv would you place your bet on songs with vocals or instrumental cues uh depends if i was good <laughs> assuming <laughs> assuming you were e equally adept at both let's say that so it's I would, apples to I apples would, yeah it's it's a tough call i think i would still i i personally i like to uh invest in multiple streams so i would probably do both but that's mm -hmm. just my own personal thing i'm not a gambler per se so I try to get the balance of multiple income streams. So I would probably aim for both. Um, okay. And of course, from a balanced perspective, considering that instrumentals get placed like 90 to 10 or probably 95 to 5 percent wise, I would probably aim to produce like 95 instrumental cues and five songs as a ratio. That's great information. Write that one down, folks. Um, yeah, you can make a lot of income on one song being placed on a, a network show in the United States. Um, Primetime network show on a broadcast net with a song with lyrics will earn you a lot of money. But those happen infrequently, so find the balance. Mm -hmm. um, let's take a question from the emails that came in. This one's from Greg Chorbanian. When a music library says they're interested in your tracks, then ask for and ask for and are provided a couple more in the requested genre. So I send dramedy, they like it and go, do you got anything, have anything else if you speak good English? Uh, and then they say, I'll get back to you. Uh, what processes are going on in the background at the library? If the library says, I'll get back to you? Yeah, so I, I'm a composer. You're the library through Taxi. You hear my dramedy cue. You call me up and go, hey, Michael, I really like that cue. Do you have more of those? Yes, I do, Pedro. Let me send you two or three more. I send them over. How long do I patiently, you know, keep checking my phone for messages? Um, now, let me let me go back to his question. What processes are going on in the background when they say, I'll get back to you? Hmm. Well, I can't speak to the processes of other companies, but I'm trying to put it in context of what we would be doing. So, for example, we get a taxi forward um, 
yeah, let's stick to the same story. It's a dramedy queue. If we put it in as a taxi listing, it means that we probably need that for a show. Um, we would likely be putting it into an album. And then if the composer says, oh, I have five more, uh, we would be saying, okay, submit them through our submission portal and we'll audition them, uh, request changes if necessary and, and proceed. So there wouldn't be a, a pause of we'll, we'll get back to you. So I really don't know how to answer that because we wouldn't be saying that. My guess is that Greg is trying to figure out, you know, the clock is ticking and he's very, uh, he's anxious to find out. So he's trying to calm himself down by saying, well, they got a lot of stuff to do, so it's going to take a while. So, and here's his follow-up question. a case where they're still sorting out what to do with the dramedy cues coming in. I, I really don't know. Um, and he follows it up with, I think, the essence of the question. Also, what's a reasonable amount of time to wait before asking for an update and possible further interaction? I want to be respectful of their time, but also don't want to be left hanging. So, mm. yeah, what's well, a reasonable I mean, amount of time? Well, in a situation like that, it sounds like you already have a working relationship with the company. So I wouldn't... I would probably not wait more than a week even. I think that would be reasonable to get back to them in a week and say, okay, so um, what's going on with the dramedy cues? Uh, can I submit them? What, what do you need from me? Um, oh, I think in this case, he's already submitted them and he's just waiting to find out, are you going to sign them or not sign them? Um, Oh, okay, so it's in an audition kind of phase. Yeah, and early okay, part again, of the relationship. Okay, again, you could probably reach out after a week and just say, yeah, just checking in to see how the audition is going on my cues. Is there anything that you need changed? So just just be friendly and and ask if if there's something that you can help with, essentially, and see what they say. Yeah, it's very like in our hard. Case, Sometimes our, our, our cue can get backed up, like could be weeks sometimes, even on production music cues that we just get bogged down with other work. And um, so people are waiting and sometimes the composers will reach out and say, yeah, I submitted this cue, you know, a couple of weeks ago, haven't heard back, just checking in. And that's perfectly fine. Um, let me go to the next question. This one's from Frank McDonald. Uh, I've heard that music supervisors automatically, well, this is a good question, automatically reject songs with samples in them. However, in some of my songs, I have splice samples, which supposedly are royalty free and they provide a certificate of content license, which I have for all my samples. Does this make any difference? Well, I, I can't speak for music supervisors. Um, it, what we do is provide music to music supervisors. And then in our case, we're, we're, we would be asking the writer, like, are you using any unauthorized samples? So we're aware that in some cases, people are using things from different, um, I guess, sample packs or libraries that they buy that could have samples in them. So what we recommend is that people, if you're going to be using 
any kind of samples like that that are royalty free, you use them in a modified way, not in the original form that um, you receive them. So it could be something that's chopped up, or you've retuned something, or you took some notes and you rearranged them, just create something original with them. Because what happens, especially in production music, is you end up having to deliver a lot of alternate versions of the original track or the main track. And so when you break down into those alt mixes, you end up with some that are pretty bare. So if you happen to have one loop that is common with a lot of other people out there because you haven't modified it at all, uh, it's probably going to get flagged in some uh, system out there that does any kind of audio uh, recognition or even things like uh, Shazam might, might show up with your song and uh, or if you Shazam your song, some other song will show up. And so that just raises questions. And once there's questions, people don't want to touch it because you, you're immediately afraid that you're going to get sued. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that we're, we're pretty careful with. And we ask people all the time and we try to Shazam a lot of the music that comes in as well. Uh, we actually ran into that years and years ago with the client where the client came to us and said, yeah, we Shazam this track and it showed up with this other one. And uh, so that looked horrible on us. Fortunately, it was a, it was a production music type situation. Um, and so we they just didn't use it. And then we kind of investigated a little bit further into that particular composer and found out that he was doing a lot of that. So we ended up removing, I think, most, if not all of his tracks from the wow. catalog. Um, uh, not in in like a harsh way or anything, but right. we just couldn't use those. And we explained to him why. And then a year or so later, he came back and we actually signed a lot of brand new music that he created originally without using uh, any samples like that. So I would just say be careful if you're going to use those things. I think it's good to use them as inspirational tools. Put in a loop, you like how it sounds, and then you could go into that track and create that originally yourself, maybe using different instruments so that it doesn't get flagged from the same audio recognition of that particular um, piece of sound somewhere just create something original using that idea chop it up yeah be creative um, i'm getting comments in the chat room people can hear a piano lesson or something going on in the background is that oh, like yeah. <laughs> is that a lesson that can't be stopped because it's an actual lesson sorry can't do much about about that my wife is uh doing piano lessons right now is what it is thank you for addressing that um and somebody just asked what's shazam um, Google it to get a more complete answer, but it's it's music recognition software. You can download the app for free on your phone. My wife would be very quick to tell you that I rarely watch TV without my cell phone sitting on my knee and shazamming almost every piece of music. And you'll find that when you shazam stuff, and oftentimes it'll come up and say it's this artist, when you shazam something that sounds like, wow, I think I could have heard that on the radio, but I haven't. 
um, and it doesn't come up as identified, it's probably a piece of music that came from a production music library or music licensing firm. Um, and for whatever reason, it's not in Shazam's giant brain of every song on the planet. But it's a really good way to learn about what's current, what gets used a lot. If you just sit there with your phone on your lap and every time you hear a piece of music, go bink on Shazam and you'll go, okay, so it was that artist. I should sit down and listen to more of that artist because this is the third time I've heard that artist's name come up in the last month. Currently, their style is trendy. I should get familiar with that style. Is that a fair statement, Mr. Library CEO? Absolutely. Always stay on top of what's new. I like listening to New Music Friday every Friday and uh, find a lot of great songs, add them to my my playlists and just listen to um, yeah music that's current. Get a lot of cool music from my sons because they they consume different platforms that I don't like TikTok and all those other things where the young people are at and they find a lot of great music so both my wife and I find a lot of great music through them um, sometimes even like some YouTube channels that um, I've been getting into these YouTube channels lately where uh, people listen to a piece of music and just play it by ear and mm. so the requests that come in will be music that people are currently listening to and you hear a lot of really interesting cool new music so yeah be curious of what's out there and be familiar with today's sounds and production style it all helps uh, in guide the way that you produce music for to sound current because if you're working in the world of sync you are syncing to production that's happening right now so they want to have current music for the production unless it's a period piece in which case they're going to go and find uh, period music from um, some music licensing companies that both Michael and I know and love that specialize in those in those periods yep yeah for people who are of a certain age like myself um, over 60 70 80 years old and you've got stuff that you did on a TAC 4 track back in the mid-70s or stuff that you did in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe on an Elisa's ADAT um, with a Mackie 8-bus console. All those things have are potentially valuable to certain licensing companies in the business that specialize in music from certain periods. And oftentimes Absolutely. they're not looking for like, wow that sounds like a hit they're just looking for something that sounds legit and authentic from the period and that comes in the writing style the engineering the production all those things come together even on a you know like a b plus demo you can hear it i hear stuff that gets you know like for instance that 70s show they're not going to put music from today in that 70s show it's going to all be from the 70s if a show's budget isn't big enough to license major hits from the 70s they're going to reach out um, to companies like Taxi and the publisher, aforementioned publisher. Um, actually, the publisher reaches out to us first and foremost. We are probably by far the biggest supplier of music to that catalog, and I'm glad for that relationship. They're great people to work with. 
that stuff gets placed, even if it was done on a TAC 4-track, because the authentic vibe is more important than the hit record. Uh, let's take a question yeah, here a from... Days ago, I got a request for uh, legit 90s hip-hop songs recorded in the 90s. They weren't looking for like famous songs, just something that sounds authentic, created at that time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's definitely, if you have some of those um there's a market for uh period music that's legit to uh, an era or a specific city where that style was um was prominent in that city so if the city is or sorry if the movie or tv show is set in a specific city in that era, they're going to be looking for that kind of music. Seattle, 1994, we're going to be hearing grunge. The yeah, great exactly. point. I think uh, there's probably going to be a, a bit of those coming up soon is my prediction. So I yeah. wish I had some. On <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody in the chat uh, in short just asked, uh, are there any peculiarities about licensing vintage stuff like that and i i don't want to start taking questions from the chat yet i want to be respectful to the people who took the time to email but i will answer that one because it's appropriately timed with this topic and my answer to that is you have to make sure that you've got the ability to actually be the purveyor of that music to a library and have them um you need work for hires for many in, uh, musicians that played on it back in the day. If somebody was a co-writer and they're now deceased, you need to reach out to whoever controls their estate to say, can you sign off on this? So there, there is some stuff that needs to be done. In a perfect world, you own 100% of the copyright, the composition, you own 100% of the master recording. You don't have any other people playing on it or singing on it. That makes it life really easy much more signable. All right, this one's from I would David. Say that's the case also for music recorded today. Good point. We run into that all the time. We'll, we hear a, a full band on a recording and one person says, yeah, I own the master, I'm the sole composer. And we go, well, are you playing all the instruments? Oh no, my band played that. <laughs> okay, well, do you have, oh, they're okay with it. Um, no, we need some kind of sign off from your band members saying that they don't own any of that copyright. Um, could be something very simple, um, simple agreement, but need something in writing. You can't just go based on, well, you know, they're not going to have an issue with it. No. Have, He's my buddy. We'll, we'll He's cool with, with it. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to end up with the track on a major motion picture or uh, some major placement that then you get people out of the woodwork going, hey, I played on that song and it's now in this movie. Uh, I want some cash. Yeah. No, you don't want to get into that predicament or put the licensing company in that predicament or the music supervisor or anybody. So uh, yeah, get get your business side of the house in order if you're going to be in the business. Yep. It's amazing how many people think that maybe their music is just so good and so tempting and so desirable that the people on the business side of the business will overlook you not taking care of your business. And that's just not true. That's an utter fallacy. I don't know 
anybody in the business, and I've been in the business for almost 50 years, I've never met anybody who would say, that's okay, I'll look the other way on these particulars as to ownership because I love that song. They just won't. Um, yep. David Gay wants to know, was just curious about how to pitch songs that you've written but pay to have them put to music. So I write a song, I've got a basic melody and a lyric in my head, I put it down on whatever form. In my case, I'd put it down on a cassette, maybe even an 8-track cartridge. Um, I don't perform and don't have a very good voice. Is it possible to record the music myself in hopes of selling to another performer, or should I continue paying someone else? Um, you know, this question really isn't for Pedro because it's not really something that's music licensing related. I think it's more record label related. So I'm going to answer this one in short and then we'll move on to the next one. The answer is the quality of demos has gotten to be where most demos in the industry by professional songwriters are essentially master recordings because everybody's capable of producing a master at home with Pro Tools or Logic or what have you. So while I will never say never on a very basic like guitar vocal demo, piano vocal demo, um, it's got to be an incredibly excellent song, like life-changing song and a demo that just even with a vocal, a piano and a vocal just blows every listener away that could work. Shy of that, just having, you know, just you singing into a microphone, here's my lyric and melody. Very, very old school, and I'm sorry to say not acceptable in today's industry. Um, this one's from Ewart Williams, who is in the house today. I saw him in there a little bit ago. Is there ever an occasion where you can pardon any company such as Taxi for the mistakes of a newbie producer-composer? I'm going to repeat that because I'm not 100% sure I understand it. Is there ever an occasion where you can pardon a company such as Taxi for the mistakes of a newbie producer-composer? So meaning Taxi connected us to a newbie composer-producer, and then once we start that relationship, they make mistakes and we would blame Taxi. Um, it wouldn't really be Taxi's fault. Um, Why not? So, People blame stuff on us all the time, Pedro. <laughs> so, no, the pardoning wouldn't be required here because it wouldn't really be Taxi's fault. Taxi can't screen the professionalism of each person that comes through the door. They're screening just the quality of the music and whether it matches the particular listing it was submitted for. So it's a very narrow scope. So the blame wouldn't be on Taxi per se. Um, I know, uh, I think, Michael, I, I tend to watch uh, taxi TVs as often as I can. And I know you were recently talking about some other company that they kind of got a little bit annoyed because they signed a bunch of taxi riders and then they found that the professionalism wasn't really up to par. But would you say that they blame uh, taxi the, uh, for that? On the business end, that was the problem. They right. said that the music was excellent, but on a, on the business end, people just didn't really deliver. They asked for you know a certain file format type, and people didn't send it. Certain sample rate, people didn't send it. Um, certain way yeah. they wanted the music titled or tagged, didn't do it. So that was the issue. And he actually went out of his way to say that the music was quite excellent. It was the other stuff. 
So he didn't hold Taxi responsible. He actually said something to the effect, I, I know it's not you guys, but I'm going to hold off on running any listings for a while because I just don't have the time or the bandwidth to do all that hand-holding. And I think that was actually the phrase that he yeah. might have used. So that's the thing is it doesn't hurt Taxi. It doesn't take a dollar out of anybody's pocket. What it does, though, is hurts all the fellow members who might have had opportunities. And that was a really good company that we worked long and hard to bring into the fold and get those opportunities for our members. And he was nice about it. He wasn't a jerk at all. Yeah. But he, and, you know, if you read between the lines, and I think he actually said something like, well, maybe I'll reach out to Taxi again in the future, um, essentially if I'm desperate for something. So, yeah, the, just yeah. there were 17 members that got forwarded to him, and very few of the 17 actually had their business act together. It's it's a tough line to manage, and we we debate that all the time. In fact, I was having a meeting with our production coordinator today and talking about that. Like, how much do you handhold? How much do you just let go? It's tough. Like, and for me especially because I I came up as a composer, so I, I try to help as much as I can. But you, there's only so much time in the day to to dedicate to handhold and on basic things where either a Google search or becoming a little bit more aware of what's expected or even in our case just reading the emails that we send out like if we sent you the information you should have read it you know so it, it can be frustrating and um, and then when you have all the other responsibilities to get to and you want to make sure that your clients are being taken care of it's uh yeah i can understand that it would be it would be tough especially if you've just onboarded a whole pile of people that you're having to deal with all at once yeah so it's yeah it's always a it's always a challenge but i think we all try to do our best to find that um the right balance where you're not uh, shooing people away and you're trying to be helpful to a certain extent and we we certainly try to do the best that we can providing information answering emails providing frequently asked questions all of those sorts of things but um, yeah I think it's just a matter of us all trying to do the be the very best that we can but taxi does a good job at offering taxi TVs and the forums and all of those resources where people can educate themselves on not just the music side, which they've done really well, but on the business side as well. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Somebody in the chat just asked the question, well, you know, isn't there some way for us to learn this stuff in advance in so many words? And yeah, that's what Taxi's been doing. We've been doing these taxi TVs now for almost 14 years, I believe. And we have a newsletter that goes out every month that's free to anybody, you know, just sign up for our emails at taxi.com. Uh, we have a forum, which is kind of world famous because it's friendly and it's helpful. And there's no real sense of like, I'm not going to tell you how to do that because you might compete with me. It's the opposite of all other music forums. And it's not like we hung up a sign that said, be nice, everybody. It's just nice people congregate there and are super, yeah. super helpful, as well as the Taxi Road Rally, our convention. So we do all this stuff um, to help people, and they ignore it, and, and then 
they get busted by a company that doesn't want to do business with them and they look back in the rear view and go, gee, I wish I'd learned that stuff right there in front of you. Uh, it's a matter of, you know, putting in the time. I remember when I, I think even before I joined as a member, I probably read threads in the forum for about a year. Wow. To, just to try to get a bit of an understanding of like what exactly is going on. And then I joined, still was clueless. I watched Taxi TV religiously every week mm. um, just to try to learn, was on the active on the forums and uh, then attended the road rally. And I mean, I'm still learning today. We're always learning. Um, but just like with any other industry, there's a lot of a lot to learn in every industry and a lot of nuance. And so it takes time to uh, sometimes understand a lot of those nuances. And so, um, yeah, just just take the time and, and keep working on your craft, but also the, the business side of the craft, because they both go hand in hand. I'm going to go off script and talk about AI for a moment because it keeps coming up in the chat room. There's a question about AI coming up very like the next question, actually. Uh, and I learned something very recently that made me go, wow, I personally um, am fascinated by AI. I can't say I love it or hate it, but I can definitely say I'm fascinated. And do I think that someday a robot figuratively speaking, will be able to create a, a piece of instrumental music that could work in a reality show? Probably. Will a robot be able to write a song that can make you cry? Maybe 10 years after that. I don't know for sure. I'm, you know, I don't know. None of us really know. Maybe even Bill Gates doesn't know yet. But there's an interesting thing going on in the graphic side of AI, artificial intelligence, and that is that AI, if you say, make me a picture of a taxi cab that looks like a flying pig, and you can do this, and AI will spit that out in a matter of seconds, and you'll go, holy crap, that actually looks like a taxi cab, <laughs> you know, yellow paint checkers on a flying pig and flying over a road, pretty incredible. Every pixel in that piece of art came from somewhere else. And virtually everywhere else it came from, that other art, because it's in a giant database of an almost incomprehensible amount of stuff, whether it's you know art from famous artists or art that a mere mortal like us produced, it's taking a pixel from here, a pixel from there, a pixel from here, a pixel from there, and gluing it all together in a matter of seconds to make that flying pig. And there are some big boy lawsuits going on right now saying, hey, nobody gave you the right to take even one pixel of my copyrighted piece of art and put it in your new art. So there are some massive class action lawsuits. Well, I think the same thing is gonna apply for music that even though the robot may be smart enough to create something that sounds like a dramedy cue for a reality TV show, <clears throat> all those samples of instruments or melodies or stuff are gonna be plucked out of a million little places and then put together by that brain to sound like music. I think that there will be massive um, class action lawsuits 
for the same reason as the graphic arts world. Uh, do you have any thoughts, observations, or opinions about AI and the future of our industry, Pedro? Well, I don't claim to be an AI expert by any means. My my thoughts are just from a human evolution perspective in general and how many revolutions of labor we've gone through in time. I was just I heard something the other day it was it was actually a joke and it was it, the joke referenced a pipe organist and the person that used to back in the old day there was somebody that would sit behind the scenes and they would pump uh, some kind of a device that would put the air make the air go through the pipes and I thought well those jobs disappeared as soon as electricity came in and you invented a fan that could blow through yeah. and so if we if we were to write down all the jobs that have disappeared over the years uh, I think it would be interesting so I think this is just another evolution of of man person kind humankind <laughs> Um, so I, I really don't have any like real time knowledge of what's going on in the in the music side. I've seen some posts on Facebook or something of some AI created music, and I think you know it's gonna it's getting close and will come close, and in a few years it'll probably be very close. But I I think you're right in that sense, Michael, that maybe it requires some kind of human input um, to make it happen and potentially lawsuits involved. But then at some point, maybe some company will hire composers just to create things, work for hire to input into that database mm. that will then output via AI and um, be completely royalty free. Who knows? I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating. And like with, with anything that's revolutionary, I think it's one of those things where you could complain about it or you could embrace it and just uh, see where where things go in the future. Thinking back to the Napster days and what happened to the music industry. Well, you know, the industry is not the same, but it's moved on and it's reformed in a different way. Um, and nobody's complaining anymore. So I think some other, other forms will emerge with time. Um, but one thing that I know is that in my lifetime, the the changes in technology have been astounding. And I think uh, that's just going to accelerate exponentially that in five years from now, technology will be vastly different from anything that we can recognize already. And it'll just keep going faster than we can even imagine. Um, yeah, who knows? Sorry, Michael, I don't have any no crystal ball on that one. Well, here, maybe you've got a crystal ball in this one. The same gentleman that was asking about the AI stuff, his third question is, what top three genres of instrumental cues are currently the most requested by music supervisors? Well, um, music supervisors in, generally, in general, unless they're working on uh, reality shows aren't requesting instrumental cues. They're usually looking for vocal songs for placements. Um, but the ones that do work on reality shows and maybe they're building bins for the editors, I, I think 
I think hip hop is still probably the number one genre in that world um, and variations of hip hop, um, different different genres mixed with hip hop beats for whatever purpose. Of, like dramedy of hip hop. Setting of the yeah. Um, not just pure hip hop, but yeah, you know, like even Christmas hip hop, dramedy hip hop, whatever you can apply a hip hop beat yeah. and attitude to. Um, yeah, I would think that's still the number one, but not a hundred percent sure. Our our business is lately doing more to the vocal song side, so I'm not really sure what's being requested out there. But generally speaking, I think that's still the case. You alluded to this before, and I'd like to underline it a little bit, which is we're living in contemporary times and the vast majority of shows and movies being made are around today's time period. Not all. There are always exceptions to everything in life, especially art. Uh, but the majority are current contemporary films and TV shows. Therefore, the music that's going to be in them, for the most part, is going to be whatever is happening on radio or Spotify or whatever today. But you really need to be like a year or so ahead of the curve because if you see a TV show on the air today, good chance it was made six months ago or a year ago. So whatever was happening then, music-wise, made it into that show you're hearing it today. If you use that as your reference point without looking like six months ahead of that, you may be starting out a little bit behind the line. But uh, I think your statement earlier that for the most part, unless it's a period piece, the music is going to be reflective of the time that the show takes place in. So there you go. Um, or location. Or what? Or location, yeah. Or location. If, it's, if it takes place in a specific city, the music supervisor may be keen to have the sound of what's going on in that city, even local artists um, for that particular city. Um, yeah, so it really varies on the creative direction that they've come up with for the particular show or film. Um, Heidi Owen asks, when a listing says exclusive, does this mean I would have to give up my master rights and copyright in perpetuity or would the listing have to state that what is the and then i'll follow up with her follow-up question i don't want to throw too much on the table at one time so when when a taxi listing says exclusive um i want to answer this partially and then have pedro run with it because as it relates to taxi listings we obviously reach out to pedro and other libraries and say what are the bullet points of your deal we're not going to include the full deal because that would be a multi-page contract in there. But we do want to let you know if it's exclusive um, and if it's got reversions. My personal opinion on reversions is although they are a wonderful thing and it would be awesome if everybody could grant you a reversion clause, there's a logistical nightmare if you've got a catalog with 10,000 pieces of music and tomorrow 68 of them have hit their reversion date and the day after that 132 have hit their reversion date and the day after that four have hit their reversion date so now you've got to send out emails at least weekly if not daily i got one today from one of the big libraries and pedro and i were kind of chuckling about it before we went live in that okay they send out a notice by the way we're cleaning out our library of stuff that's reverted 
And nobody, Pedro, I'll let you answer this. In your opinion, how many people on the user end will take time out of their day to go into Library XYZ's catalog and start deleting tracks? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard to gauge, but I would think not many. Like people are so, so overworked and have such little amount of time in the day that I, I just don't see somebody going through and, and doing that. Maybe it lands on an assistant somewhere that they tell them to go and do that. I, I have no idea. Um, but as the listings go, yeah, the listings will, will tell you if it's non-exclusive or exclusive, but ultimately you have to, like, like Michael said, they're not going to have all the deal points in the listing. So once, once the company reaches out to you, that's when you can look over their deal points. You can talk to them, um, look over the agreement, um, get some legal advice on the agreement and see if it fits your, fits your needs. Yeah. My, my opinion on reversion is is similar in that sense. Um, and I think a lot of taxi members, at least of my generation of taxi members felt that way, try to make things exclusive. Even if you have a non-exclusive deal, sometimes it's a good idea to just make it exclusive to that company so you don't have the headaches. Right. Um, but from a logistical perspective, I think it's kind of nightmarish, not just from pulling the pulling the tracks out from the bins or from like music supervisors, you're going to reach out to a music supervisor and ask them to pull a song. Like, I, I don't know if they would be very responsive to that, but. Oh, I think they'd um, respond, but it might be one of their five fingers responding like, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. With... Go, Sorry, ahead. go ahead. We're going to out polite each other today, Pedro. This is a problem you and I have in our relationship. They're going to, um, they just don't have the time. It's not that they're jerks about it. It's just for every time they would have to do it, they would spend 20% of their day. They don't have it, sadly. Yeah. So thinking of an exclusive song, typically an exclusive song or a cue you would have the original title with it. So say you signed it to library A exclusively for three years, and then that, that library um, placed it in a TV show or in a movie, like then three years later, you say, I'm going to pull that song and put it with library B. So now library B is going to go to the performing, performing rights organization and say, hey, we have this song in our catalog. Um, so now all the royalties from that song is going to go to Library B. Say Library B never placed that song, but they've been receiving all of the royalties from the placements created by Library A. So in my mind, ethically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either um, when it comes to the, the logistics of the, of the business, but also how money flows in the business. So I would, I would always recommend just write something new. There you go. Right. Great advice. Just um, keep writing, write, submit, forget, repeat. 
is the is the advice. I keep it handy on a daily yeah, basis. Write, submit, forget, repeat. Don't get precious about any one piece of music unless you think that you've written the next top 10 pop hit for a major artist. Get precious as hell about that one. For a piece of instrumental music for a, a reality TV show, you could make four more that are very close, but don't rip yourself off in the process. And you could do that in a day. You know, you've already got everything set up in your template. Now it's just different key, different mood, different tempo, same genre. There you go. Um, I get it, though, Michael. Like sometimes, if you're if you're seeing no action from the company that you put your music in, it can can get a little nerve wracking and frustrating. Um, but I think I think it's just a matter of being in touch. Like sometimes people treat it as okay, I gave you my music, now make it happen. Like, it's mm -hmm. a relationship. So reach out and talk talk to me. Like, I'm an approachable guy. <laughs> I, I don't mind hopping on a phone call, even if necessary. Um, an experience that happened fairly recently, I had one uh, composer, with, we had music signed with that composer for several years, and it was on our non-exclusive deal. And so they reached out saying, I want to pull all my music out. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. It's non-exclusive, but okay, sure. Yeah, it's it's past the three-year in initial term and it's repeated a few times, no issue with pulling it out. Sure, we'll go through all of our systems, pull it out of all of our systems and clean it out from everywhere, pull it from the catalog, update the agreement, all of that. Okay, it's done, you're all set. And then a few months later, I get another email asking something else about, okay, is it done? Yep. And and then for some reason, the conversation came up of placements. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, as you were pulling it out, it got placed on this one show and these Two tracks got used this many times and then he responded with well in that case maybe we can put it back in and i'm going seriously we See just went through the trouble over. pulling everything out for you uh, why didn't you just talk to me and say well i'm frustrated about placements maybe we could have talked it talked about it and told them like the work that we're we're doing to try to get music placed you know uh sometimes people we have a mailing list that we send out to artists i think every quarter telling them like showing them the work that we're doing um we even put out playlists of the top songs that we've pitched out or pitched every month so that people get a sense of what's being uh pitched and so we, we try to do our best to keep people informed, but sometimes people even unsubscribe from our mailing list. And then like years later, they do that. And it's, it's frustrating because you can only do so much. So that was, that was the frustrating one for me. It's like, well, I'm not going to put the music back in now after we went through all the trouble of taking it out. 
And then you? you become the jerk. Now that person's mad at you. It's like, I can't believe you won't put it back in, but they don't understand how much work went in to put it in in the first place, how much work went into taking it out, and how much work would be to put it back in. And there's that little person inside of you who's sitting on your shoulder going, don't do it, Pedro. They're liable to pull the same stunt again a year from now if they don't get any more placements. And you know what? We have the yeah. same situation with taxi members who say, nothing of mine has ever gotten forwarded. I'm not going to renew. Hey, fair enough. Maybe you're not pitching the right stuff. There are myriad reasons why you won't get a forward. 80% um, of the time, it's not getting close enough to what the, the listing asked for, but they um, are getting ready to renew or not. And all of a sudden, by some stroke of luck, they actually get a forward and gets a deal offer on something. And then they post on the forum, oh, Taxi only forwarded me because my membership was about to renew, which uh, you know kind of the back end of this company and the people involved in myself well enough to know, first of all, it would be a major, we would have to go through a list of, of hundreds of people to see who's up for renewal and you know what do they have in the system yeah. and let's forward it to that company running the listing anyway even though it's not forwardable just so we can get that person to renew no that's magical thinking yeah and also in our case when we signed that music it was in our early days where we were signing non-exclusive production music yeah so to even to even re-ingest it now would be going outside of our current processes to make it happen. So it's like we would have to like do something custom just to re-ingest it after the work of having ingested, taking it out and then bringing it back in. So like I try to be as accommodating as possible, but you know, at some point you have to draw the line. Here's one from Allenson Clark. Um, man, Lanny, I remember you from the earliest days of Taxi. It's good to see you back. Great to see your name. And Lanny's question is, the screeners have certain parameters based on their clients' requests, meaning Taxi, you know, the our clients' requests. How much, this is maybe more of a me question, how much wiggle room is there for submissions based on the samples, meaning references for each listing. Things like groove, tempo, instrumentation, mix, etc. Would the li libraries like to hear more or fewer tracks? I'm going to have you answer this part first, then I'll go back to the other. Would you like to hear more tracks or less tracks that are on target? <laughs> well, obviously more. Uh, uh, in, I mean, if if we're putting out a brief to our writers and we get a whole 12 in a row or 15 in a row that are spot on and we accept them all and the album is done, that's kind of a beautiful thing. Uh, it's not usually that perfect, uh, <laughs> but that, that would be the dream, obviously. So, yeah, to answer your question, more that fit the the need would be better. You know, you brought up an interesting point that I'd like to briefly elaborate on, which is sometimes people get very frustrated. I was forwarded for this thing and I never heard back from the company, which is often the case. 
And one of the reasons that happens is the library gets lucky. Maybe in the first 20 things that we sent them, maybe we sent 47 or you know 19, whatever number we forwarded to you. If you found enough in the first things that you listened to to satisfy your situation, you may not continue to listen because you've already completed the goal, finished the task. So unfortunately, if you've finished the task and, and put together that album, as it were, and you know, 19 things got listened to, there's no reason to listen to 20, 21, 22, 25, whatever. Um, just, I, I don't mean to sound insensitive about it, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles, right? Uh, well, it, there can be a lot of reasons why it uh, could be staffing issues, like speaking from uh, experience right now, we recently received uh, quite a few taxi forwards and we just haven't had the time to go through them. So we're a little bit backed up. So that would cause a delay as well. Um, and then when it comes to like, say an instrumental listing and we were looking to fill an album. So you gave the example of, okay, you got 15, they're perfect. Why listen to the rest? Uh, there's also the opposite. Maybe we listen through, we found 15 that are great, but we reach out to the composers and only four of them want to sign or we only heard back from four or whatever. And now we have four tracks. So we ask them to write more. And um, so that process then continues on. Um, I guess that doesn't answer the question of the waiting part, but these are all different variations of the issues that we face to actually accomplish finishing an album, for example. Oh, I, I think it does. To your credit, I think you did answer the question about the wait time because you never know. We have taxi members that literally have gotten contacted by the library. As soon as we send out the email to the library uh, with the link to the batch of music and they happen to listen to the first one and go, this is awesome. Who is that? And they reach out to the person before that member has actually gotten the forward notice. That happens. Yeah. Um, and then the opposite. Sure. Yeah. And the opposite could very well be that uh, you're right. You heard the first 15 things were all a slam dunk, but only four of them uh, wanted to do business. And so now you got to go back to the pile and keep listening and keep reaching out and keep listening, keep reaching out. And then you get waylaid by a big emergency project that's going to take three or four days of scrambling on your end because it's a high-end placement in a big TV show. All those things get in the way of you sitting down and listening to music and saying, hey, I got your stuff from Taxi and I'm gonna let you know by tomorrow if we're signing it or not. And then they perceive it to be, nobody loves me or Taxi's forwarding it off to you know the abyss. It's just the nature of business, I think. Yeah, it's, all, it's always circumstantial. Like you could, could be responding to something that's urgent uh, to a music supervisor and maybe ran the listing and you're getting that forward and immediately you respond because, hey, can I get that song because I'm going to pitch it as opposed to an instrumental production music album that you're building 
for a different purpose where the timeline maybe you have a couple of months to produce that album because yeah. it's for a show that, that you're um, expecting to come up a new season of a show or something so it's really really depends on the circumstance as well sometimes or like i said staffing issues where maybe somebody got sick or for whatever reason you're behind on on um, reviewing the music that's come in or the projects have changed the priorities have changed like it's unlimited the, the variables and that's why you can't worry about it and that's why we came up with well we the taxi community came up with the right submit forget repeat the forgetting is the most important that's right. part nobody owns the copyright or the trademark on this uh i, I actually i'm not even sure who was the first person to say this maybe dean Crepain or somebody of that early generation i don't know um by the way yeah. dean it, it, i'm sorry it's before my generation mm. well you're getting old enough Probably now that a lot of things are before you <laughs> <laughs> You finally made it past 30, Pedro. <laughs> um, Lanny Clark, yeah, Lanny Clark asked this question and somebody else just asked almost the same thing in a different way uh, in the chat room. Um, the screeners have certain parameters based on the client's request. How much wiggle room is there for submissions based on the references for each listing? Things like groove, tempo, instrumentation, mix, et cetera. And somebody else asked it a slightly different way, but I think the root question was the same. What's the actual distance between references provided in a brief versus the expectation? So this is Michael Lasco, CEO of Taxi, you know, 31 year old company with 31 years experience under my belt. My experience tells me that the way to go is not to try and mimic any of the three references. First of all, we always ask the client, can you please give us a reference so that we don't have to interpret what the client says, come up with our own reference. Sometimes they give us one and we go, gotcha. And we can come up with the next two pretty easily. The thing to do is listen to all three references and build a little summary in your head or write it on paper to say, they're all within this tempo range or maybe an exact tempo. They're all in a major key. They all have a very predominant uh, bass and kick locked in really tight on the bottom doing four on the floor. Um, they all have a very positive lyric. Um, look for the commonality. And then as you're creating your piece of music, constantly go back and check the references and go, would my song fit on a playlist with these others? you're not trying to create a new version of whatever song the reference is. They don't want that. That's actually a really bad thing to do. It could get everybody in the process in trouble. So I, I, I often uh, think of the Rolling Stones, um, like Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones. Great rock attitude in the vocal. The, the Telecaster guitar part is iconic. It literally like, one whack of the strings and you go, that's a telly and that's Keith Richards, you know it. Um, so am I correct in my summation of how references should be viewed? Well, we're talking taxi listings. Um, I think in our case, when we hand out uh, references, I, I think 
the, I think you're right, Michael, in the sense that all of those references are going to be within that certain ballpark of um, the tempo, the genre, um, the emotion, the feel. Like it, it's it's about what does it make you feel? Is there something, some commonality in the instrumentation or in the percussion that's unique? Like, is it is it pulsing? Is there something um, like quick about the like a staccato with the high end of the percussion or something that's driving it? Like, wh what are the commonalities between the the references that you can draw from and try to create something within? that would fit in the playlist, as we commonly say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a bit of a, an art, we're talking about art here, even if we're creating production music cues, it's still an art to do. And um, so finding the right feel, and if you know what the purpose of that particular music is for, like, if you know the type of show that it's for, well, research those shows, see how it's being used. Maybe, like in our case, the grief may say that it, what type of scene it's for. Um, so picture it in your mind, like, will it fit that scene? If it's like a reveal scene, well, is there like some kind of a transition that feels like something just got revealed? Can you picture it in the situation? Um, so that's how I how I see it how I think of, about it from a composition perspective, but also from um, a listening perspective when we're auditioning the music. I try to picture it in the scene, like, would this work? And is it in the genre that the client's looking for? Is it the, the right style, the right feel, the right tempo? Is it too slow, too fast? Like, is it in that ballpark that it would, it would fit well and feel well in that scene? um thank you I know for that it's kind of, it's kind of a, a vague answer in a way but no it, it's it's not a perfect science you're right it, it's art but you know that is part of the secret sauce to becoming successful as a composer if you listen to enough references and really put your mind to it versus using magical thinking and like well this is how i think it should be take it as it is and, and really do exactly what you just described, pretty soon it becomes second nature and you'll just become better and faster at it, like everything. And it's not it's not an easy thing to do because the, the creative side of us takes over. And I can speak from my experience as a taxi member. And I remember trying to write to urgent uh, listings and I would start with the best of intention, but then I would kind of drift into something that I thought was cool that wasn't near what was being asked. It was still cool, but I like it was not what was being asked, which was great from a creativity perspective because the listing inspired me to be creative, and that's that's that was fun. Um, <laughs> but I think once you get into the level where you are now a professional, then you have to go back and and be able to be. Um, very self-conscious uh, uh, self about your what you've just produced or maybe have a co-writer that you work with who will say, oh yeah, you're 
you're veering off in this direction. We need to change these things to bring it back. And then you go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because uh, sometimes we can get so close to it that we don't we don't see it anymore. I would imagine that happens to a lot of people, even experienced people. And I think the fact that you brought up um, relying on a collaborator, great idea, because two heads are almost always better than one. Uh, and you know what? Yeah. Some people say, well, I don't want to give up half my income by working with a collaborator. Yeah, but you'll produce twice as much product and whatever libraries your collaborator is already working with and has established relationships will eventually become your relationships as well and yours will become hers or his. So there's this cross-pollination in a good, healthy way. So collaboration, people, I can't say enough good stuff about and it. The, <clears throat> and the thing with collaboration too is, in my experience, was that two heads are better than one, but not just double. I think it's more exponential. Um, when I look back at my most successful music and the music that's made the most money, I think all of them or most of them are collaborations. So from a, from a um, financial perspective, I would say that um, giving up the half will probably make you four times the amount of money. And if the person that you're collaborating with, you know, uh, I remember Ronald Reagan used the phrase that he married up. He was talking about his wife, Nancy, to some other world leader and said, boy, we both really married up. And it was kind of a cute moment. Um, same thing is true of collaborating. If Don't look to collaborate with the person who's like a taxi rock star that's making, you know, a $200,000 a year income. That person's probably, their dance card is already pretty full. Look for somebody who in the last year has started to become pretty darn um, popular with the libraries. That's the person that you want to collaborate with because they're going to have more experience, more connections, and know more about the business side of things. So you get to learn directly from them. And what you have to bring to the party is something on a musical level that inspires them and fills in a, an empty spot they don't have. Let's say you're an incredibly good guitar player, as Pedro is, um, and they're really strong on keyboards, could be a great marriage. They might be a year or two ahead of you on the on the journey, and because of that, they can advise you about contractual stuff and business etiquette. So everybody wins. They get a great guitar player, you get an education and a partner. Um, yeah, I agree. Lori Allaire asked, I, I need to ask what a music library is and what it's used for and where can I go find one? Uh, Lori, I, I don't mean, I'm not being a jerk here. Google it because <laughs> it's something that will eat up five minutes of time and it's just so easy to Google it. What is a production music library? That's what you need to know. Um, sorry for the short answer, but you'll do better getting it on, you know, through Google than you will giving us five minutes to answer it. Um, basically, it's a film TV specific publisher is the short answer. This one's from Jay Brunel. Think of it like a, a book library. What do you need a book library for? You go and grab books. So it's the same thing. So it's just a place where you can go get music to use. And uh, it could be editors, music supervisors, anybody in the business that needs to use music. They can go to a catalog and grab that music and use it. Um, that's essentially the library part. 
Yep. And then there's the business aspect of it that there's agreements necessary and et cetera, et cetera. Cute story. Uh, spend an hour on Somebody who's a friend of both of ours, a, long, a taxi member that was a member for a few years, then wasn't, and then came back, speaks very highly of taxi, and I think very highly of him because he's got a great work ethic. Um, he always referred to people like you as music librarians or just librarians. And so recently <laughs> I said to him, you know, I feel close enough now that I can be frank and tell you that every time you say librarian to anybody in the industry, it probably takes you down a little notch as to their perception of your experience and professionalism. I've been in the business 50 years. I've never heard anybody call a music library owner, executive, CEO, a librarian. And he goes, wow, thank you for telling me that. So there, I saved another I think librarian soul. would be offended because they, <laughs> they have to have a lot of schooling to become a librarian. <laughs> Good point. Um, let's see. Uh, here's one that I'm going to make. I'm going to, what do you call, paraphrase for this gentleman. Um, late blooming singer, songwriter, minus the singer part. So in other words, he's a songwriter. Um, he gets other people to perform This, you know, honestly, uh, he's basically asking, can I just send, you know, kind of a, a really rough thing, a, a vocal, me singing a song, you know, into a microphone? Um, and will they notice A&R people or whomever? He doesn't really specify. Can I just sing, you know, Mary had a... Well, I don't, I'll get a copyright strike. I don't know if that's PD or not. Anyway, uh, the answer is no, sir. I'm sorry to say that no. Um, in a perfect world, yes, you'd be able to just hum your song into a microphone and sing your lyric and have them go, I can hear exactly how that should be produced. It could be a giant hit. Now, only uh, in Jimmy Stewart movies do things like that happen. All right. Find uh, a collaborator. Yes, that's a great point. Go in the taxi forum at forums. Taxi forums. Go to the taxi rally and go into the um, uh, open mics, people performing. You hear somebody that has the right voice that you think would be perfect for your song. Go yeah. up to them after they perform and talk to them and, and uh, see if they would collaborate. That happens all the time at the rally and in the taxi community. Um, okay, I'm just going to go to this next question. Um, this is from Mary Fisher, and she asks, I have a recording client who wants to pitch a song to get it into a movie. He's asking if he can also upload the song to streaming services so the public can hear it and stream it. What do I need to do to get his song on streaming services? That's a whole other episode, and I'm not even going to ask Pedro to um, answer that because there's plenty of stuff all over the Internet. How do I get my song up on streaming services? There are also some great books you can read and great blogs about that subject. But the root of the question is, um, if he puts it up on streaming services, does that hinder his ability to get um, a music supervisor to use it 
And I just heard something that I'm not going to say just now the other day that kind of flipped my opinion on this subject. So in your opinion, Pedro, if a song, if Michael Lasko writes a song and I send it out through whatever distribution channel and it's on 10 different streaming services, does that hurt me <clears throat> or help me in the eyes of a music supervisor who wants to use it? I'm going to say 95% of the I'm I like that number. 95% <laughs> of the time it's going to help you because the music supervisor can find you on Spotify, see that you're a legit artist and they'll be happy to put your song on if if it's the right song for the scene and then be able to either link to your Spotify or link to your social media uh, referencing the placement that the of your song. Um, there is that 5% though out there of music supervisors that would like to put something out that hasn't been released so that it's almost like they are the ones that discovered this new music. But that's right. very, very rare. I think it's only a few music supervisors out there and in very specific shows or situations. So I wouldn't worry about that generally speaking. Uh, you know, it's funny. Up until I heard this person's opinion yesterday, I've seen a lot of companies that say, um, we don't want stuff that's already been released. And I guess they want the fresh and new aspect or whatever. Maybe there's some technical or legal reasons, whatever. So I've always kind of regurgitated that as the party line, that they're looking for stuff primarily that hasn't been released. Somebody completely turned me around um, when they said, yeah, um, a lot of music supervisors want stuff that looks like a current artist that's got some sort of career. That that goes into their thinking as to whether or not they want to use a piece of music. I've always kind of doubted that's the case because anybody can put stuff out there on, you know, on Spotify, wherever. Um, that doesn't mean that you've got a career. Having a following on a bunch of streaming services would identify you as somebody who's got a career and maybe a little cachet and a little buzz going on. But let's face it, something like 8,800 songs a minute are uploaded. It's some crazy number like that. I might be confusing a minute with an hour. Whatever it is, an astonishing number of music is uploaded to the interwebs every day on various streaming services. And the chances of you being discovered, successful, viral, um, are pretty slim, but yet, especially ad agencies love to use artists that they can go back to their client, Nabisco or Apple or whomever and say, yeah, we got you this great piece of music from somebody that's blowing up out there and it's really cool. And, and the client will go, yay, that's so cool. What's your feeling on this sub? Well, you already expressed that you think it's a better thing than a bad thing. Yeah, and you're talking about companies wanting something that's uh, brand new, hasn't been released. I mean, if you're going to be uh, releasing it ex exclusively like we do, uh, we want music that's been created for us. And then we end up releasing it on Spotify and other digital platforms and putting it, put it out ourselves. Um, as for, like you were mentioning, ads, um, we had a couple of national, U.S. national ads um, placed just a few months back, 
And the funny story with those is that those songs have actually never been released. And the artists involved were not interested in releasing them, even though they mm. probably would have got some really good Spotify plays um, from those national ads, but they just had no interest in releasing them. Yet the ad agency had no issues with using them on these national level ads. So it really depends on the ad agency, what the brand wants, I guess, probably also depending on the brand. Um, yeah, it, so many of these things are so specific to the situation that it's hard to give um, one answer one way or another. So many variables. I'm going back. I've got time for like half a question. Jay Brunel said, I thought my question was next. Um, How do you do half a question, Michael? <laughs> Give half an answer? I don't know. I can't find it now. I thought that I'd gone down the list. That's so weird. I'm looking for Jay's name. Oh, you know what? It wasn't bolded, so I missed it. Sorry, Jay. Okay, very quickly. If I copyright a batch of songs together and sell one from that batch, do they need do they get all the songs in that batch or just the individual one i was told that they get them all that so if you do a, yeah it doesn't if you get if you do the batch the sru or whatever it is or you know where you can do like multiples of songs at at a time no the you don't they do not get by you don't go to a mercedes dealership pay for one car for eighty thousand dollars and drive out with four because they were also sitting on the showroom floor maybe not the world's best analogy but i think pedro and i yeah. are in sync on this that no they don't get that oh, i i don't i don't have a whole lot of experience on copywriting tracks per se and the mechanics around that but i I can't imagine that that would be the case. It makes yeah, no I, sense. I can't either. Neither of us are attorneys because we're probably not smart enough and cunning enough to be attorneys. I don't know. But I think we're generally somewhat knowledgeable about the in industry. Um, all right. Uh, I'm gonna. This is the last one on the list. I'm sorry we didn't get to you guys in the chat room. We'll just have to have Pedro back again. Um, to get to that stuff, but this was, we got a lot of questions today emailed in and sorry, those guys get preference because they took the effort to get them in early. Is there any preferred protocol for naming music files which are submitted? For an audition, it doesn't really matter. Um, if it's put into a playlist, we open up the playlist, we stream the playlist, we're just listening. So from an auditioning perspective, it doesn't matter. When it comes to submitting into the catalog, we have our own um, rules and um, yeah, different requirements that that we need uh, when music is coming in. Um, our case is kind of unique in a way because we've designed an internal submission system that takes a lot of takes care of a lot of the heavy lifting around naming of tracks it does it automatically um so yeah i don't really know how to answer that question any further uh first but yeah for from a submission perspective it doesn't doesn't really matter um 
again, so many variables. I, I saw a, a Twitter post from a music supervisor the other day where she was complaining that uh, she had a whole bunch of uh, vocal songs on her drive. They were all WAV files, but they just had the title of the song, not even the name of the artist. So from her perspective, she didn't know where they came from anymore, so she deleted them all. So when it gets to that point where it's sitting in somebody's drive, that's when there needs to be an awareness of what the file naming convention needs to be. But as an artist, unless you're pitching directly to the music supervisor and delivering those files to them, um, you don't need to really worry about it. That's something that your licensing company like us would be taking care of. Well, with that, we're a couple minutes over. I really appreciate you doing the show today. And I'm so sorry. I really, uh, he said to me the other day, no, I've never seen your office. I'm going to be in LA. I would love to see it. So take a rain check because I promise you, I will give you the grand tour. We will go out for a very nice dinner. And uh, the staff was so excited that you were coming. Um, they were all like, oh boy, Pedro's coming. They were all really tickled that you were coming. And then this morning I walked in and I go, wah, 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 wah. Guess what? Sorry, he got snowed in. He ain't coming. So um, thank yeah. you for doing this. And I will see you in person sooner than later, I hope. Next week's show Always is... Always a pleasure, Michael. My pleasure. Um, hang out for one more second. I'm going to wrap up here. Uh, also want to mention that next week's show is going to be the A&R Hot Seat episode that I was going to do today originally. So join us next week. We're going to play you forwards and returns, and you guys cast your vote. Would you forward it or return it based on what the listing asked for? I know it sounds a little corny, but people who participate in these episodes rave about them. They say it's gotten them so much better at submitting their own music. It's really helped them fine-tune their ears. Yeah, so please don't mind. Yeah, please don't miss it. And if you are feeling like you want to click something, click that thing that looks like a thumbs up. Um, give us a little love because thank you, Pedro. <laughs> you, uh, YouTube loves that. And also, if you're not a subscriber to the channel, click that red button and become one. With that, I bid you all a fond farewell. Pedro, thanks, man. Always great to see you. Say hi to Jess. And uh, yeah, give me a heads thank up you, when Mike. you're coming out here. All right. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Bye, Pedro. They love you. Woo! <laughs>